When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Get a chair, grab a seat, or we'll sweep you off your feet. We move, we groove, you got mail. Ease your legs, rest a while, all you gotta do is smile. We're swell, can't you tell you got mail? When the show begins, you better hold on real tight. Or before you know it, you'll be high as a kite. Take a break, settle down, we're the only show in town. SRO, don't you know you got mail? Give it up, don't think twice, we're a hurricane on ice. What the hell, give a yell, ring your bell, show and tell. Mademoiselle, give a smell, you got Mel. You've got Mel. <laughs> Love it. And Mel has the incre- incredible, incredibly prolific and successful children's writer, Hannah Stiefel. And you have news, like in, what, a week and a half? A week, a week from Tuesday, I have a new book coming out. Show us. So excited. Don't, so I don't, don't, don't even have a copy, but I keep, checking, I keep checking my front door. The package has not arrived. I don't know if it's a snow thing, a COVID thing. I have a bookmark that can show you the cover. <laughs> it's called Let Liberty Rise. It's illustrated by Chuck Gronick, a very talented illustrator. And it's coming out from Scholastic on March 2nd. And it is the true story of how school children helped save and build the Statue of Liberty. The pedestal of the cha- Statue of Liberty. Yeah, but without the pedestal, there would be no Statue of Liberty, which is what the story is about. Or so it would be a foundation be, to hold us up. Yes. It would be suspended in the air, perhaps. It would be sitting in 350 pieces on Liberty Island, which was then called Bedloe's Island. If you want, I could share the story. <laughs> Do you want to hear? I want you. No, I mean, I, I, I read it and it is wonderful. So um, Thanks. I wish you, it's a great story and it's something that people don't know. Right. They know, they know the story of Emma Lazarus and the poem. Right. But they don't know that all of these children and, and regular people in New York pitched in a couple of cents, a few bucks. Yes. To That's raise the money to raise the statue. Right. So the story is that when the statue was sent, most people know that it was a gift from France. I think that's about all I knew when I first heard the story from my friend Jackie, Jackie Glassdahl. Um, I had invited Jackie for Friday night dinner with my other author friend, Sue Macy. We were Scholastic friends. I'll tell you later, but I used to work at Scholastic many years ago in magazines. And we had Friday night dinner back in the day in 2014. And I miss those days. Um, and we, we were talking about what we're working on and um, as authors do. And Jackie had published a novel, her first middle grade novel called Liberty on 23rd Street. And the backstory for her novel is set in 1885 in New York. 
when the French were sending this statue representing friendship and freedom to America, America didn't want her. America was supposed to build the pedestal for the statue to stand on. And um, it just sat there in pieces in the rain and snow. And Joseph Pulitzer, who was the uh, owner of the New York World newspaper and a Jewish-Hungarian immigrant, felt very strongly that liberty has to stand in New York Harbor, the gateway to America. And he said, if anyone gives a penny for the pedestal, I will print your name in my newspaper. So school children he, he, he should have won the Pulitzer for that. <laughs> exactly. And over that's, three that's months. That's between, between us, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they needed $100,000, which is $2.6 million today. And no, no New York millionaires want to give the money, but school children, as they do, give from their heart. They, they sent in their pennies and raised $100,000 to build the pedestal of the statue. So when I heard that story from Jackie, I'm like, that has to be a picture book. The true story has to be a picture book. And um, Jackie and I did some research. We went to Ellis Island where there's a library about this. It's called the Bob Hope Memorial Library. And there wasn't at the time any picture book specifically on this topic. It was mentioned, but it wasn't a whole book. And um, I decided to go for it. It took many years, but it's coming out in a week. <laughs> I'm very excited. It, yeah. it, it took almost as long as getting the uh, Statue of Liberty on its feet. It took much longer, actually. <laughs> well, maybe the same amount of time, because from the concept to development, it was really a gift for the 100th birthday. So that would have been um, 1876. It wasn't standing until 1886. So yeah, like 10 years, <laughs> something like that. That's what it takes to write a little picture book. <laughs> so, so uh, Hannah, tell us all about you. First of all, um, people should know that you've written somewhere between 20 and 30 children's books, which is incredible. Thank you. And, Thank you. Uh, and let's start at the beginning. Who are you? Where were you born? Why are you okay. from? I was why, born in why, aren't you called, why aren't you called Dorothy Jones? <laughs> I was born in the Bronx in New York. Um, and then... Um, during, uh, my father was drafted during Vietnam. We moved to San Francisco and then the whole country was open to my parents. Your, your father was drafted? drafted during Vietnam. And where did he so serve? He so he served in the Presidio in San Francisco. He was a surgeon and he became a plastic surgeon and he took care of incoming wounded. Wow. And so by that time, so we had my brother, no one was born there in San Francisco. My older sister, Toby. And then the whole country was open to them. And my father didn't want to go back to New York. So we moved to Miami and I grew up in North Miami beach and it was a wonderful childhood. You know, we outdoors all the time, no snow. Um, and, um, you know, out in nature all the time, we had a canoe, we went canoeing on the canal outside my house. Um, my parents took us on lots What's of nature you're, trips. You're, you're Jewish, right? I am very Jewish. Jewish. <laughs> Jews aren't allowed to own canoes. Ah, so actually, the canoe story is that we used to go in the summertime to camp in Pennsylvania, a Jewish camp called Camp Mosheva. So all the Mosheva people watching. And my father... I, I, know, I know it because I was associated with Camp Galil. Ah, very nice. So um, Mosheva is in the Poconos in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And my father was the camp doctor and my mother was the camp mother for the whole camp. So we went when we were little tiny kids and in the morning at the crack of dawn, my parents would wake me up before I was a camper and we would go canoeing on the lake in Camp Mosheva. And we watched the beavers build a dam. My parents were always into nature, always hiking, taking us hiking with them. 
And it was just like this surreal, gorgeous experience. So when we got back to Florida, they bought a canoe from Sears, giant canoe. It was uh, tied by a chain to the tree in front of our house. And we would drag it across the street and pop it into the water and go canoeing. And um, it wasn't the most like, you know, pristine it's, it's, canal. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing you didn't live in Louisville. <laughs> Why so? Well, you know, I had, we had a canoe in our front yard and there was no place to put it in the water. <laughs> I, I love I love this story. I love a story about Jews with the canoes. <laughs> you should I write that. I, I, I'm going to write that. Jews with canoes. <laughs> I I've, want to never, I, I've never heard of a Jew who owned a canoe. I love it. And you write and, and you write nonfiction and I write fiction. So. so I write both. I write both fiction and nonfiction. Ah, Actually, the zombies book behind me is about creepy creatures in nature. And I really think that like that's why I write creature books is because of my parents. They instilled this wonder of no, but nature. That, but that's the, the, the zo animal zombies is, is nonfiction. I write both fiction. My, the first big chunk of my career, I was writing exclusively nonfiction, and then something happened. <laughs> um, but I, you know, wherever you want me to start, I could talk. No, about no, so, yeah, but so we'll argue about the Jews in the with the canoes. Okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> I love the story. I thought that at the end of the summer they couldn't pay your dad at Camp Moshava. so they said, you know what, take a canoe. I'll give you a canoe. So that would be fiction. But <laughs> it's a good story. I don't know if he got paid. I mean, it was, no, it's Mosheba. But um, people did it because they loved it. But um, <laughs> but my father would take his time when he wasn't, you know, looking at ears in the, in the Marpea, in the infirmary. He would take all the little kids on hikes and we would look for footprints of different kinds of animals in the woods. And we would find bear prints and deer prints and raccoon prints. And he would make plaster. He would take plas uh, plastic, um, what's it called? Um, Paris. Master of Paris, and we would make molds and come home with a, a mold of an animal track. Or, I mean, this is another story from when I was a kid. These stories left a big impression on me as a kid. My parents. Right, that's, that's a terrible pun. <laughs> You're right. Um, we're not we making any progress today. Yosemite when I was a kid, and I yeah. didn't. I didn't. We were in a cabin. And I wouldn't eat my hamburger for dinner. So my father, instead of like eating it or throwing it away, had a plan. And he turned over a garbage can outside and he poured water around the garbage can. And then he put paper down and we watched and waited and bears came. And now you shouldn't feed the bears anymore. But back in the 70s, it was OK to feed the bears. And so the bears came with their cub and they would step in the mud, step on the paper eat the hamburger and we had bear prints on paper and it was remarkable and I remember watching this it was like <laughs> so yeah so that's why I was you know enthralled with nature as a kid we always went to national parks we lived near the Everglades we would go on swamp trumps which is when you like roll up your jeans and now we, we talk about this with my mother today my brother and I were like how did you let us walk in a swamp where there were alligators I don't know <laughs> But we did these things as ch as children because they were fun and you know, <laughs> and, you know, and just enjoyable and mind opening. And we didn't have internet, <laughs> so we would go out in nature and have fun. That was great, great experiences. So okay, and then what happened? That, 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 that's great. And then what happened? So yeah, so then, um, so I went off to college in New York. Actually, I studied in Israel for a year. Nicola. 
And then I went to New York for college and I studied um, English and art history. And all through college, I thought I was going to law school. So I applied to law school, but I also had an internship at a medical PR firm. And while I was there, like, you, wow, you really seem to like writing about science. Why don't you apply to this master's program at NYU Journalism School called Science, Health and Environmental Reporting Program? So I was like, okay, maybe I should. And so I held the law school and the NYU Graduate School of Journalism in my hands and decided to go for writing because that was my real passion. And, um, and then, so I did go to NYU and then down the block was a company called Scholastic. And I got an internship writing science for children and for a magazine called Science World. Actually, the first internship was called Super Science for younger kids. Science World was for middle school. And I was with Scholastic for about seven years. I actually have some old copies with me because I keep them because I love them so. But Science World is a classroom science magazine. I don't know if people know, but Scholastic has about 30 classroom magazines. So I did that. And then um, I also would freelance for National Geographic Kids. This is a story about sea turtle rescue. Um, so that was my passion, sharing science with kids and the wonder of nature. Um, someone called me in about 2005 and asked if I wanted to write a book about wind. And I was like, write a book. That sounds amazing. And, and then I thought about wind and wind seems kind of boring. It's air that moves. But I did a little research and wind is fascinating <laughs> because wind does remarkable things like wind turbines or blowing sailing ships across the ocean. Um, so many things. So or, I wrote that or, was my first or saxophones. Win. Yes. So actually I didn't have music in this book, but now the, I should do a rewrite. I know that's bad. Um, Wind from a Whisper to a Howl was my first book. And then it's kind of sent me on this path of these educational publishers where I did a lot of books about first natural disasters. I, I was constantly writing about earthquakes and volcanoes and tornadoes and so on, like uh, forces of nature. So that's a book I did for Scholastic and earth-shaking natural disasters. And it was pretty intense writing about all these natural disasters all the time. Um, and then I expanded to outer space and did lives of stars and comets. Um, and then right. someone asked if I could write a series on the yucky Middle Ages. Yeah. And the yucky Middle Ages. And so I didn't know a whole lot about the Middle Ages, but apparently the Middle Ages were yucky. And so I did a lot of research. It's um, part of a series. And this is how yucky it was to live in castles. The castle stinketh. Um, how yucky the food was of the Middle Ages. And sweaty suits of armor, how yucky it was to be a knight. So this was my branching out from science to history. You, you know, I spent my whole career on bad smells. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I did not know that. I would not kid you, but this show is about you. Oh, thank you for associating me with bad smells. Well, then you would like this book because castles were pretty stinky, but who knew? Does it have stinky smells in it? So it's not scratch and sniff. That would be excellent. Um, but I think when we think of like the period of time with knights and castles and, you know, suits of armor, we think it was so glamorous. But, you know, I explained to kids today, they didn't have air conditioning and heating. They didn't have plumbing, indoor plumbing. Um, you know, they had soot and dust and dirt and rodents. Mm -hmm. They had, um, you know, I showed the kids how I visited castles around the world and they had how they got rid of their waste and poop shoots that ended up in the moat. So while it was 
the, the lucky few got to live in castles. Um, it was still was not an easy life. So, and it's, you know, castles are remarkable that they're still standing today and everything. So um, this was a fun series and, um, you know, very enjoyable, but all of those were work for hire. And so people should know that these were not ideas that came from me necessarily. The writing is mine. I'm very proud of those books. And but then, then, I, then a total career shift um, started writing the books that came from my own imagination and my own ideas. So, so how did that happen? So from a true story, um, my daughter Maya was seven and I was putting her to bed one night and she was cranky and she was mad at her dad. In, and, in, in Miami? No, I live in New Jersey now. So I live in New Jersey. You, married. You I have four children. Yes. And at some stage you moved from Miami to New Jersey. Yeah, well, I went to New York for school and I met my husband up here after graduate school. Um, we lived in New York City. That was spectacular. We lived in Connecticut and then we moved to New Jersey. My husband is born and bred in New Jersey. And so we ended up near his, his parents. Um, so we lived. What, what, what does he do? He is a pediatrician. And I knew it. I knew it. I knew that you married a doctor. I knew oh, it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's written you know, all over your face. Hannah. News and canoes. They marry doctors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very medical family. If you're not a doctor, you're married to one in my family. So, um, yeah. So my husband is from New Jersey. And uh, where was I with this ah, story? So Maya, so my third child was cranky and she was mad at her dad. I don't remember why, but we made up a funny bedtime story and we said, um, we should return him to the daddy store. And we made up a story about a girl who goes shopping for a new dad. Well, I ran downstairs and I started writing Daddy Depot. And it took eight years, but that is how Daddy Depot is based on a true story. Um, Maya is now in Brandeis University. <laughs> um, this came out in 2017, but it was my first work of fiction. And it was my learning book. It was my pick first picture book, a fiction. So um, yeah, very exciting. And uh, so people think, you know, I told the story to my father that I was writing a book about a girl who returns her father to the daddy store. He said to me on the phone, he said, my hearing aid's not working. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Um, so it's mostly based on my husband, not my dad, but um, they're, it's dedicated to both of them. Both wonderful fathers. It's a it's a lovely book. Thank you. I mean, uh, you you sent me you kindly sent me a a PDF. Those don't do justice to the to the book made out of paper, but um, it 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 is wonderful. Thank you. Thanks. It's from the heart. It's about unconditional love, and it's a little bit of send up of our consumer culture where you could return anything to the store, including your dad. Um, and we have a lot, like a lot of fun doing read-alouds with this book with children. But the, but the other dads are no better than the one she has, right? Of course, the one you have is, you know, <laughs> who could be better than your own dad? Um, but I love this spread. It's actually, I don't know if, you know, do you know the book, uh, Go Dog Go? So that was a book I used to read all the time as a child. And there's dogs and they're, throughout the book, it's like, to the tree, to the tree, what's there at the top of the tree? So I have a reference there where... The dog in the book climbs the tree, right? So here, uh, Lizzie goes to the top shelf where there's a clearance section. And what's at the top of the tree? So in Go Dog Go, it's a dog party. So I made a dad party at the top of the tree because that was one of my favorite children's books. And the illustrator, Andy Snare, this is book, um, the publisher is Fiewell and Friends. And the kids love looking at this closely and they could see all the different kinds of dads. 
And, um, you know, they all wonder like, which one will she pick? So, yeah, I always get like one kid of like, why would you return your dad? <laughs> you know? So little psychology there. But anyway, it ends. I won't give it away, but it has a happy ending. So, yes. Yeah. And uh, what else have you done this nonfiction? So, excuse me. Fiction. So I have a few more coming, but um, my name is Waka Wakalach. So this is also. Yeah. What, what is that? Based on real life. So many people can't say my name, Hana. They mm -hmm. call me Chena, China, Kahana all kinds of names. And that's not my name. So years ago, I started writing a book called That's Not My Name about a girl named Hannah who wants to change her name. And in the first several drafts of this, um, Hannah gets advice, gets, talks to her grandmother and says, I want to change my name to Sue. And Sue tells her, oh, there was a, your great grandmother, her name was Hannah. This is my great grandmother. And, um, so, you know, you're carrying on the chain of her name. So it was a lovely story, but my critique partners all said, Hannah's not solving her problem, right? This is a big thing in, in children's literature today. Hannah has to solve her own problem. Her grandmother can't swoop in and solve her problem for her. And I was stuck on this and stuck on this and stuck on this. And then I was hiking in Banff. My husband also loves to hike. I was hiking in, you're from, you're Canadian, right? So I was, Banff is one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I was- I, I, have, I haven't been. I'm a Canadian who came to Israel. Okay, so on your next trip, if you can make it to the Canadian Rockies, highly recommend. If I make it to Canada with, with all that's going on these days, you know. It's crazy. Hopefully I, it's much can. safer to be in Israel. What can I tell you? I can't wait to get to Israel, honestly. So um, my whole family is there. We could talk about that later. So, um, yeah. So I'm hiking, and I had read a post by my former agent, John Cusick, who said that if you're stuck on a story, try dropping your character into a new setting. So here I am among all these rocks. And I thought, well, what if my character, Hannah, is really a cave girl? And what if she has a funny name, like Waka Wakalach, and she, I made it up, and she wants to change her name. And all of a sudden, things started to unfold. I had a new character, I had a new language, I had a new setting, I had um, agency. She could solve her problem by looking at cave drawings on her wall because she was named for her great-great-great-grandmother, Waka Wakalach, who um, lived many, many moons ago. And, um, you know, her father says that name and family, many moons. And one night, Waka Wakalach can't sleep. So she looks on the cave wall and she sees her great, great, great grandmother doing brave and mighty acts. Like here she is saving people from a flood. And the illustrator had fun with this and fishing for people and saving animals from a storm. So here she is, she wants to live up to the ideals of her great-great-grandmother, and she puts her hand on her great-great-grandmother's handprints, and it's a perfect match. So I love that idea. There's also more fun because she also can never find a t-shirt with her name on it, which was like me as a child. I can never find, I go to like the rest stop and there's keychains and I can never find Hana anywhere. I did find a Coke bottle in Israel when they were putting names on Coke bottles. I did find Hana in Israel. Um, but anyway, the illustrator had fun in the end papers here and she put t-shirts on different names of kids. And so I got a t-shirt with my name on it. My brother Noam has a t-shirt with his name on it, but there's also Zhongli and Joaquin and Young and Jimena, all these names. Yeah. And there's also another little fun secret. So do you know about undies? Undies are the case cover of a book, sometimes under the cover. It's a special surprise. So this one I love. 
handprint from a cave print and children who find it can see if their hand is a perfect match. So little secrets behind the scenes. So I thought this was a, you know, it's a fun book. We have I fun talking to kids in schools about their names and where their names come from and why names are important and why should we, we should wear our names proudly. Um, Hannah is not an easy name, but there's a story behind it. And it is that my great grandmother um, was from Jerusalem and it was a very hard life. This is in the 1920s and she had two children at the time and she came to America. And the first thing they saw comes full circle was the Statue of Liberty. And so when my parents named me, there were a lot of coincidences. I was born on her yard site on the day she was born. And it was Erev Rosh Hashanah. It was the day before Rosh Hashanah. And my father went to Shulta Synagogue to name me, as they do. And he got the Aliyah of Haftarat Hana, the story of Hana, Hannah from the Bible that he read. So it all tied together that I had the right name. And even though I had an English name, I kept Hana because it was important my family to keep the name alive. In, uh, the Jews say bashert, it was meant to it be. Meant to be, exactly. So um, <laughs> what is your English name that you don't use? Oh, I do have an English name. It was Cheryl Ann. I was Cheryl born, Ann? Uh, I still have some cousins today who might be listening who you know, know me as Cheryl Ann. But when I was three, my bubby, my grandmother started calling me Hana. And it stuck. And I, you know, I, I didn't change it officially until I was, I had so many names. I was Hannah Cheryl Ann Fryman Stifo when I was married. I worked at Scholastic and I, people called me Hannah. Um, but the IRS did not know who I was because I had so many names. That's not so, a bad thing. <laughs> I was afraid I might get in trouble at some point. Okay. So I didn't feel, and I filled in the boxes. There were just too many names. So I, um, I went before a judge. And in Connecticut, I already had a child. And he said, why do you want to change your name to Chana? <laughs> and I was like, it's Chana. And it's Connecticut, Fairfield, where we lived, was such a small place that the judge said to me, how many copies do you want? He signed it right away. I said, I guess two or three. Because, well, if you need more, I'll drop them off at your apartment. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, I live in your building. <laughs> so it was a small world. Yeah. So I made it official. I simplified my name down to Hana Fryman, which is my maiden name and Stiefel. And, um, and if people have a hard time saying my name, I will take the time to explain or just help them with a the But I also, you know, will accept Hana. It's okay. <laughs> no, because you've, you've gone the opposite direction or your family from most uh, American Jews who have assumed... Um, American names with a vengeance. So it's interesting. My family, um, my kids all have Jewish names that are easy to pronounce. <laughs> um, so like my oldest is Judah, Yehuda, but we call him Judah. Um, my daughter, Abby, in Hebrew is Etana. Maya is Hebrew, I think, right? Maya, yeah. Maya, Ali, Maya. Mm -hmm. um, and so she's he, in English and Hebrew Maya. And my youngest, Josh, uh, Joshua, is a Hebrew name that is, you know, anglicized. But he's Yehoshua, Yaakov, Eliyahu in Hebrew, named for my grandfather, who's in this picture also. <laughs> this little boy here is my grandfather, Jacob Epstein, who was a rabbi in Syracuse, New York. So he passed away many years ago. Yeah. So, you know, I, I talk to kids about the Jewish idea of, and many other cultures do this, that we name for our grandparents or in Sephardi culture to name for living people to keep their memory alive. 
And I feel like that's very important. And then kids look into their names and sometimes it's because the parents love the word or because they know a famous person with that name or they want them to emulate something. Khan also means chen, which means it doesn't translate well, but chen is goodness or kindness or charm. Charm, charm, charm. Charm. So, um, you know, it's in, something in, you in, want Yiddish, to have. in Yiddish we say molechen, full of charm. Okay, molechen, yes. So um, that's what my parents were hoping <laughs> when they named me Khan. <laughs> yeah. So, so names are important. So um, this is incredible. Um, what haven't we talked about? Most of your family are in Israel. Yes, yes. Um, they all made Aliyah. They're Americans who made Aliyah for the most part. I have hundreds of family members in Israel. I missed them. Hi, family. everybody. Hi. You probably can find some Jewish geography. I, I probably, I probably know some of them. Probably do. Um, my, my mother, all her siblings, my mother's mother made Aliyah in 1973. Aliyah, for those who don't know, is uh, what Jewish people call moving to Israel. It means going up. Um, and my aunt was with her. They were, after my grandfather passed away, my aunt was only 12. She's also a doctor and <laughs> in the Golan. So they live all over. My mother and all her siblings, my parents moved about 12, 13 years ago. My sister, 14 years ago, a brother, 20 something years ago. My sister-in-law, my husband's sister lives in Modine. So we're in uh, Jerusalem. I have an aunt in Kutzayavna. I have several mem members of a family all in one building in Harnof in Jerusalem. <laughs> so we're all over. So if any of you guys know me, shout out. <laughs> Just say hello. Just say hello. hello. Yeah. So um, it's nice. My father says when we come to Israel, everything is relative. Yeah, so. that's, that's correct. <laughs> um, you know, you cannot come to Israel, Chana. I know. Because Chana in Israel is like Mary or Susan. <laughs> is you know, it really? You, you, it's you, a very old-fashioned name at this point. It's very grandmother. Yeah, yeah, you, you'd, you'd lose all your walla walla walkiness. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a very strong pull there. Um, I did go once to the car rental at Ben-Gurion Airport, and he called me Chana, and I was like, you have to be kidding me. I came all the way to Israel. And you called me Hannah. I said, it's Hannah. He said, Hannah's with an H. I was like, no, that's Hannah. This is Hannah. My mother-in-law, by the way, was Hannah. Go figure. So <laughs> it's a very common Jewish name. Hannah was a character in the Bible. I don't know if people know that. That's another reason I was named Hannah. Okay. You, what kind of character was she? So Hannah is Hannah from the book of Samuel. And she um, wanted children. Um, she was barren. And she prayed and she, I told children, she prayed with like this, like her, her lips moving, but you couldn't hear her. And she prayed from the heart. And that's why Jews today pray by moving their lips, but you don't hear a sound because they're praying from the heart. And that is Hannah. That was my bat mitzvah speech. Hannah taught us how to pray from the heart. So um, I think that's also meaningful. She, wasn't she the mother of uh, Shmuel, of Samuel? Yes. He was the mother of Samuel. She, so got she her did wish. have a baby in the end who became yes, a uh, wish. Who, who became a rock star prophet. Exactly. Rock star prophets. It sounds like some kind of middle grade novel. <laughs> right? I, I okay, so so um let's do a little psychology here. What oh. you write for young children, how old? Five to eight years old? Yeah, I mean, I've done a little middle grade. I would say uh, Animal Zombies is older, third grade and up. Yeah, okay. I haven't done YA, but I write middle grade too. You know my theory? 
that we, we, all, we all gravitate back to writing at, for the age of ourselves that we were stuck at? Right. <laughs> uh, what I about you is stuck back there? And friends. I mean, part of me is that little five-year-old kid in Florida that's dancing in the puddles and collecting tadpoles, very much so, with the wonder of nature and just joy. Um, but I'm also an angsty teenager, very much. I mean, the anxiety during COVID is like through the roof. And I have this dream of writing a, a middle grade. It's my goal for 2021. I've started research, a middle grade novel about a, a teenager. Um, and actually it's, you know, own voices. I feel like I've come coming into my own comfort zone about writing Jewish things. Um, so I'm thinking about writing about the Soviet Jewry movement, which is very much forgotten. I heard it was the 35th anniversary since Natan Sharansky was released from Russia, from the Soviet Union. I think people don't know that story. And my, I grew up in a house where my parents were activists. That's another piece of the story. And they would, um, we had marches where we, they would uh, march for Soviet Jewry. And they actually went to Russia, meet with Refuseniks. And that was a big part wow. of my life. Um, we would write letters and uh, my father went to, you know, world conferences and made a freedom flag for the Soviet Jews to, that we, was used at, um, at rallies. And so I feel like there's a piece of Jewish history that's almost forgotten. And I think during COVID, it occurred to me how um, religion plays a part of our life, but we take it for granted in America sometimes, this freedom that we have. And it wasn't, you know, in some countries, it's just not the case. And um, we should never take it for granted that we can worship as we wish. So That's I'm for sure. Formulating some kind of story in my head here. <laughs> what um, before we talk about the Beatles? Uh, what other book would you like to mention, or what haven't I asked you? So I do have more books coming out after the, the Let Liberty Rise. Um, my husband and I wrote a book together called Oy Mendel, and it's a, a Hanukkah miracle. And that's coming out from Kalaniot in um, Hanukkah 2022, I believe in the fall of 2022. First time we wrote a book together. Um, I have a book in 20, also 2022 from Scholastic, which is a story near and dear to my heart called The Tower of Life. And um, it is about this uh, Holocaust historian and Holocaust survivor, Yaffa Eliach. Um, who was the creator of the Tower of Faces in the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, and how she wanted to build her own village, Aisha Shock in Poland, which was completely destroyed by the Nazis. She wanted to rebuild it in stories and pictures. So it's a book about empathy and hope and rebuilding and uh, memory. Um, and it was a very hard, challenging book to write, but really from the heart. So I feel like it's a responsibility to tell these stories. And finally, that one is coming out. Um, from Scholastic. And then I wrote another funny fiction book um, that's coming from HarperCollins called Bravo Avocado. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this was also a little crazy, but it's about an avocado at the farmer's market who uh, wants to be today's special. So it's about an underappreciated, overlooked avocado that visits his, the other fruits and vegetables to try to find out how to become today's special. So those are my upcoming books and more in the works, you know, always writing and more in submission. It's a process. It's incredible. You know, I, I, I every time I um, interview someone like you, uh, I have to mention to my audience that you are like one in a million uh, because so many writers 
want to be published by traditional publishers, including me. Uh, and um, it happens like once, you know, in, in, in five or 10,000, and it keeps happening to you over and over and over and over again. So you are a very, very, very special kind of person. Thank you. I feel very lucky, very blessed, but I feel like everyone can do it. I do. You feel, you feel like everyone can do it. Trust me, Hannah. <laughs> I feel it's like very, if you persistence, if you never very, give up, you can do it. Very few people can do it. I've interviewed about 20 writers. I don't think anyone, any of them have, have published as prolifically as you have. Um, but they all say the same thing. Uh, if you persist, finally you get published. I think you have to become a student of children. I don't mean you have to go back to school, but I think you have to do the hard work of learning the process of doing it. You have to, um, I, Daddy Depot, when I first wrote it, was 1,500 words in rhyme, terrible rhyme, and had too many characters. And I had to learn how to write a picture book. What was the word count? You know, how do I, what's a story arc? I had to learn all these things. Um, you know, how do you, what's the, you know, have layers of a story. It's not just the story, but the story beneath the story. Um, those are learnable things. Like people say like, you know, uh, everyone can learn to paint. Well, you know, there's different levels <laughs> that you can learn to paint. Um, but I feel like we're human beings and we all have stories to share and the world is waiting. You know, like if you have a story that you feel children need to read, there are, you have to do the works. Books don't write themselves and uh, work hard at it. Um, enjoy it because I think we tend to forget that this is supposed to be an enjoyable process. It can be very hard. The rejections are very hard. Everyone gets rejected. I get piles of rejections. Everyone should know. You get piles of rejections. Of course. Yes. I have many stories that have never seen the light of day. I have my computer that I'm speaking on right now is filled with stories that have never been published and may never see the light of day, or I could go back and try to rethink them and rewrite them. But for whatever reason, they didn't speak to the editors that saw them. And so I got speak to me, speak to me someday because I have a website for publishing these books that will never be published elsewhere. That's uh, but we can wait a few years. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's I'm not going anywhere. Hmm? <laughs> It's a process. And I think people need to know that, you know, just because you wrote a draft of a story, yeah, there's a good chance that it needs work and that you have to be open to revising. Writing is revising. As my friend Jarrett Lerner always says, revising and revising and revising. I went through at least 50 drafts for Daddy Depot. Every one of my books goes through at least, you know, dozens of drafts. Yes. No, I think that um, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, that appears to be run of the mill. Um, but uh, trust me, you're one in a million. And uh, before uh, we part ways, um, I'm going to ask you about the Beatles. Do you love the Beatles? I do love the Beatles. I just can't sing. <laughs> I will help you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there's no charge to coming on the show. That's true. This is the, this is the payment. <laughs> payment. Just a, a, a little embarrassment at the end. That's all. My family is here watching. Can they come? Bring, to... the, bring them on. Bring them on. Blair, hold on. I'm gonna WhatsApp my family. This is how we do it in my house. You WhatsApp. If I tell them to come on. Yeah. Yeah. Get over here. Whoever's home. It's because right. your house is so big. Um, I don't want to shout on your show. 
You can shout on my show. I do it all the time. <laughs> Let's see who shows up. You know, my kids have been learning to sleep very late on Sundays during COVID. Like, I never see them until like noon. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, we love the Beatles. This is a house where music is always playing, whether, you know, I like to work in silence, by the way. But usually there's music somewhere in this house. So where I'm sitting, I see there's a piano and a guitar and my son is taking lessons and there's always some music playing. So I don't see anyone showing up, though. Larry. (laughs) Oh, man. Kana, come on. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Think about waka waka lach. Okay. <laughs> you can put your hand, you can do it. So okay. if you were to sing a Beatles song, right? what would this song be? So I was thinking about this because I know you do this. So my son Judah, he turned 25 on Thursday. We just celebrated last night. And yeah, thank you. I can't believe because I'm like, you know, 25. So how could he be 25? But um, yeah, so I thought, hey, Jude, because I call him Jude. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go for it. Oh, no. Where are you guys? <laughs> All right. I- I'll tell you where they are. They're oh, watching. I know. <laughs> they want me to be embarrassed. Okay, ready? <clears throat> you have to sing with me, Mel. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey. Jude. Don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Oh no. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. I don't know the rest. Hey, Jude. Do you know the rest? Don't be afraid. You You have found her now. Go and get her. Remember to let her into your heart. No? Yeah. Then you can can start start to make it better. Better, better, better. There you go. How'd I do? Yeah, it was great. You can sing. Waka waka right. My kids can sing. My kids can sing. I cannot. Maybe I need to write a book about a girl who can't sing. That's another art that needs practice, right? <laughs> well, um, this show is about you, but I didn't sing for about 20 years because somebody insulted me. Not good. That's terrible. But you know, um, I, um, I believe that if, if you want to write a story, the story that's going to come out has to be a different story than the one you want to write. Because it usually works out that way. I can't even explain it. Right. Well, so like, I re- if I want to write about the, the pain, it's just like what you said, what, uh, what uh, John Cusick said, that yeah. you have to change something about the setting. So it wouldn't be somebody who wanted to sing it would be would want to be somebody who wanted to play the drums or something. You have to. It could be sing. My critique partner Donna. Hi Donna. Um, Donna. Hey Donna. <laughs> hey Donna. Hi, Donna. <laughs> um, Lady Madonna. Um, anyway, so Donna wrote a book about Maya Angelou, and many people know that she didn't speak for years because something traumatic happened to her, and she found her voice in poetry. 
So that's a different kind of story. It's nonfiction, but um, I know like Amanda Gorman, have you watched her? This poet laureate, this is so inspiring, 22 years old, spoke, you know, read a poem at the inauguration. And she said that she had a speech impediment. Joe Biden had a speech impediment. So these are all real stories. Yes, you can change them, you know, but if you have a story that's in your heart, like the story you were just telling me, uh, go for it. Share it with other people. There are other people who've been through similar experiences and um, they need to hear your stories. Well, actually the truth is I've just written a, okay, so I've just written a picture book bio on, on Carol King. You're kidding. Which I'm now submitting now. Um, so she had the same issue. What was you know, she issue? was she was a great songwriter, but she preferred not to be the one singing the songs. Ah. She didn't like her own voice. Oh, interesting. So maybe you're right. Maybe what I've done is I've sublimated my yeah. own pain right. for for Carol. And that's a big part of writing, like uh, digging deep into your own emotions and getting them on the page and you know emotion on every page is a challenge but worth worth trying <laughs> good luck i still thank you i still think you need to take it a little bit away from from you you know right. i mean that to take it a bit away from you know five-year-old melvin or whatever um yeah but that's anyway yeah, that's my waka waka lach story. It's not exactly, me. It's, no, but exactly. It, it's you, but it's waka waka lach. It's 10 degrees from me, but there's what to share there because it's a personal story. And those are the best stories when they're personal. Yeah. So. Terrific. Okay. So this, is, this has been wonderful. I'm, I'm really honored so much, to, uh, to be <laughs> with you. And, and I, I hope that uh, we have a meetup this week. I hope you'll join us. Um, and did I send you? I'll send you. Thank you. And. Um, Let's stay in touch. You are incredible. Thank you. I hope to see you in Israel someday soon. Oh, forget Israel. I want to see you in New Jersey. <laughs> I need to get out of Jersey in a big way. <laughs> I'm either going to Florida or Israel, where my family is. So, yeah. Well, right, now my kids are asking, what am I singing? Can I pull them in real quick? Guys, are sure. you here? Wait a second. Guys, Judah, come here. Immediately. Larry, come here. I'm sorry, Mel. We need to do this. Here's my husband. He can sing. And Larry's my co-author. The doctor. So this is Larry Stiefel. Hello. Here, hey, Larry, the doctor. Hi. <laughs> it's so lovely. I'm also, many, uh, I, wear, I wear many other hats, by the way. Yes. yes. Yeah, he does. Listen, I, 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 um, I, I love to wear hats because you <laughs> don't see how bald I am. <laughs> I mean, you have a lot of hair, so it's okay. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. I've been doing so, these hair stuff. So you're a pediatrician. Yes. And you write uh, you write the books. Yes. With Anna, yes. Yes. And you wear green t-shirts. Indeed. Actually, it's from the Alin bicycle ride in Israel. The t-shirt. You, you know the Alin bicycle ride. There you go. Are you guys gonna do a duet now? <laughs> that would be like oh. a first. <laughs> I already sang, but oh. I told him that you would. Oh, on. okay. No, I'm, I'm delighted to meet you. You're you're a pediatrician. I am. I love pediatricians. Well, thank you. <laughs> they tend to be nice people. <laughs> if they're they, pediatrician, they, they, not nice. Find another pediatrician. <laughs> they they uh, they're the nicest. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's very kind. Uh, <laughs> you know, my my daughter had a pediatrician. My daughter and son, uh, who was wonder so wonderful that they kept seeing him into into uh 
until my daughter's 30s. She would still go. Oh, there. wow. 30s. Right. Wow. We, 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 we draw the line at 26. You see, there's lots of advantages to living in Israel, you see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what other song do you want to sing for me? He wanted. He listened to the Beatles. Oh. So I did Hey Jude. Not well. You're, you're going to have to pick it. This is your interview. No, no. Come on. Um, no, she picked one. You get to pick one now, Larry. Beatles. Okay, when do I want to hold your hand? Okay, fine. Yeah, but, hold, but before you do that, um, somebody should write a song for Waka Waka Loch. Oh, good. There is, must be a song about what's your name, right? I don't want your crap lach. I want your waka waka lach. That's good. <laughs> crap lach is another word that's, yeah. I think we've talked enough. Let's do some waka waka lach. <laughs> okay, so. I want to hold your hand. I want to, I want to hold your hand. Okay. All right, Larry knows the lyrics. I can't remember. Oh, you know, the I don't want to sing a song. You know the words. No, but I know the refrain. how complicated can the lyrics of that one be? You were just going to ask. Okay, ready? Oh, yes. I want to tell you something. Okay. One, two, three. I think we'll blow your mind. Okay. <laughs> One, two, three. Hey, you. I got something. Do, 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 do. I think you'll understand. When I hear that something. Da, 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 da. I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. I want to hold, hold your, your hand. hand. Is that, is that enough? That's enough. Okay. Let's hold your hand. Okay. Come here. This is my love of my life. Oh, thank you. He's my okay. biggest supporter. When you write picture books, you need support. He's my biggest supporter. Right here. Larry, I write picture books. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to leave you. Okay. Okay. No, because I, we're leaving you. We're leaving each other, Larry. Yes. Okay, yes. Mel, thank you. This was a wonderful start to my day. And a wonderful end to mine. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Hannah Stiffel. Bye-bye. Take care.